Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today from Copenhagen, Denmark, is Jens Beckvall. He's the head of HoloLink Quests at HoloLink. Jens, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Uh, Jens, why don't you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about HoloLink and your role there? Well, HoloLink is a, quite a small startup. We're only eight people at the moment. We've been uh, working for about two years. And what we do is uh, augmented reality. And uh, our goal, our quest, so to speak, is um, to uh, democratize augmented reality. So what we really want to do is we want to make it possible for anyone to create augmented reality, no matter how tech or non-tech savvy they are. And we want to extend this to students all around the world and make it possible for anyone to create augmented reality on the fly, extend it to other people, share it, and make it actually our end goal, so to speak, would be to make augmented reality the medium that it could be. So it is to making it a mass medium like, like video, for example. So imagine augmented reality, the YouTube of augmented reality would be a great thing. We're not making the YouTube, we're just making the tool, but that's like, that would be epic. Oh, it absolutely would be epic. You know, our listeners are, are fairly tech savvy and are familiar. We've had a number of folks who are in the virtual reality space on. And so we talk a lot about game engines and how virtual reality is developed in Unreal Engine and in Unity. Can you talk a little bit about how augmented reality is developed uh, at the high end and how HoloLink might be trying to democratize it? Yeah, for example, I've been working with uh, augmented reality in both Unity and in, uh, in the coding in Swift in Xcode for iPhones. And uh, when you work with the AR kit, for example, there are some great things you can do. But uh, when, it, when doing this, for example, in, uh, in uh, Swift, I mean, you need, need to be pretty code savvy. You need to be a good coder to make a, a functional AR app that looks good, feels good, works well. You know, I mean, you can get some great results, but it's hard work. And likewise, when you're working in Unity, you know, you need to work with them. Um, you need to be able to script in a C Sharp. You need to be able to work with the 3D tools. You need to combine all of this. And, you know, and the environment, while being really advanced, can also be pretty daunting if you're, if you're new to it. And then once you've done that as well, um, what we thought was a problem, so to speak, a problem that we, that we um, uh, visualized is that working in Unity, you know, then you want to want to um, share it as an app because you can't just share it um, uh, on the web. It has to be an app. So you have to both share it as an Android app and as a, an iOS app. Then you have to bundle it and deploy it as both and send them out as two different packets. Then you want to get this out to both the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. And, you know, the whole pipeline is really pretty heavy and it takes a lot of time, uh, um, uh, both of them are from an uh, ad administrative uh, side and from a code-wise uh, point of view. So what we, we've done is we've made an editor that's uh, in your browser and what you do there is you find assets, you have 3D assets. We have lots of 3D assets in there. We've got like 50,000 different assets in there. We've got video and sound and images for you as well. And we're building on them to get more of those because some of them, I mean, we could get more. We've got some video and sound and so on, but most of we focus on 3D models. Then you, but what you do is you pretty, pretty much you just pull it in, drag and drop it into your editor. You have the scene in front of you, the way that you have it in Unity, except with no code. You place stuff, you say, I want a 3D model of Santa Claus here. I want a big Christmas tree here. I want a bundle of presents. I want a Christmas jingle playing in the background. 
ah, that's spaced nicely. You click a button and it's shared on the web and anyone can go just click the scan the QR code because you need a URL since it's a website. So it's the, every AR experience is bundled to the website. So you scan the QR code or type the URL if you want. And then you just scan a, an anchor image, which could be a poster or a Christmas card, a book, whatever. Because at the moment we're working with a, with a anchor recognition. And bang, there's your AR right there. And uh, no, no apps, no, uh, no, um, uh, nothing stopping you from sharing this with people, and nothing stopping you from just creating it the way that you would in like a simple Photoshop clone, for example. Like uh, it, or if you if you're familiar with Tinkercad, you know yeah. that program. Sure. Yeah. So Tinkercad is a is a, um, a something that we're really inspired by the way they've made it possible for kids and for also non kids. I use it myself. Um, to create 3D models in, in sure. no time at all. Jens, are you familiar with blueprinting in Unreal Engine? It sounds a little bit like uh, blueprinting, where you don't have to know C++, but you can kind of drag and drop ingredients and instructions and then run your VR experience that way. In Unreal Engine, I've never worked with so I can't say I do, actually. Okay, okay. Well, it's it, it, in Unity, Unity doesn't have this, like you said, in order to build an AR experience, you know, for our listeners, they you know you do need to know C sharp to give it functionality and 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 as you said to, to, to make it a polished product. Uh, but one of the things that that you can do in in Unreal Engine is you can do this blueprinting, which is what it sounds like you're describing, which is taking ingredients yeah. and instructions and crafting together uh, something with already existing assets. Exactly. La yeah. Layering, texturing, all of that stuff can be done without having to you know be able to script. Exactly, yeah. That's what we're doing. And then also we've added the element of um, you being able to build different scenes. And then you, then we have different, you can put actions, the actions being user input that goes from one scene to the next so that you click an object, you click a button, or you set a timer that goes after the, or you set an animation end, an animation runs. Once that's run, you go to a new scene. Uh, that In that way, making it interactive, which we think is also really important, especially if you want to use it in an educational setting. Jens, I love the uh, the Christmas example that you gave a few moments ago. It's obviously heavy on many of our minds. I, I've been uh, a little preoccupied with Christmas shopping for my children here in Florida. Um, I wanted to get to another example, though, because uh, you and I participated in a conversation a few weeks ago on LinkedIn about the potential for AR uh, to help with project-based learning. And I thought that was a really an intriguing conversation for, for a number of reasons. Of course, my interest in uh, XR technologies, but project-based learning is also a pedagogy that has been heavily influential on me as an educator and is something that uh, I, I would love to see more widely adopted. Um, tell me a little bit about... Uh, your views on that and, and what you see as the potential for AR to benefit teachers who are interested in project-based learning? So, uh, of course, just a disclaimer, I'm, I'm not educated as an educator. So, sure. so, uh, so, so my, my, uh, my way into this is I've been reading a lot about project-based learning. I have some experience from, um, from, uh, from when I went to school myself and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, and, um, and the, and the way I looked at it, I thought that project-based learning, the way that the students, you know, they're hands-on, they're learning by doing, which is a fantastic way of learning. And they're, um, they're actually, in, in a way, uh, what we're doing in our editor, not to, not, I mean, similarities aside, but, but you know, they have to find um, stuff that they can use and put that together 
need information, they have to learn. They also have to reach out to find their own uh, their own learning path, and then they have to have to um, uh, uh, how to say, display this uh, to their peers, to their teachers, and. The way I thought was that you know, augmented reality, because you can, you, can, uh, you can present through so many modalities in the same way that project-based learning helps you learn through many modalities, you know, the presentation part of project-based learning, I thought that you know, being able to say, oh, this is a visual thing, this is a sound thing, this actually this is almost a tangible thing where we need something 3D, you know, um, using this multimodal tool that augmented reality presentation is as uh, an ultimate part of, uh, of present- presenting what you've learned through a larger project where you gathered this learning yourself. I thought they work so well together because they, they have similarities and they have, um, have different strengths that play up together. And when you then also add the collaborate, collaborative effect of, of project-based learning, you know, working in a group and and helping each other gather information and and put it together in a way that can be presented and that makes sense, then you could also use this um, creating a presentation together. For example, in augmented reality, if you want to if you want to make different uh, yeah, different scenes like the way we do it in Hololink, you know, then one student could make a scene about uh, A and other shouldn't be something about B and C and so on, and then they they make them work together and adding them to each other. And the way they've worked in the, in the, in the project-based learning field, now I don't have an example in my head right now, but I mean, um, um, that's also part of their learning. You know, okay, you, you made this presentation, I made this presentation. How do we make them speak together so that we actually make them come out stronger as a whole in the same way that the project, that the PBL project uh, also helps them gather information, put them together, and put them forward as a, as a, as a stronger whole. So that's, uh, that's the way I, I, I think it's, that's what I really think is a, a strong um, talking point for that collaboration between those two kinds of uh, learning. Yeah, that's such a powerful point because I think that, you know, Adam and I have talked to a lot of folks who are creating uh, XR products and education that are for students to consume. And that's certainly, um, there's certainly place for that, right? And that's certainly going to be a very powerful thing for students to be able to have these sorts of experiences that XR is able to create on their behalf. But what you're talking about is even more powerful, I think, which is you're putting the students themselves into the role of the creator. And there's something, um, there's something powerful about that from an educational standpoint that many different educational theorists have talked about, right? Um, you know, it's right at the, the, the tip top of Bloomberg's taxonomy there. But um, that's such a powerful, powerful point that you're, you're saying that students need to be the ones themselves who are creating the extended reality experience, in this case, an AR experience. Um, exactly. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how HoloLink would be used in the classroom then. Do you see HoloLink as being uh, the platform on which students could drive this creation themselves? It definitely, I think it is, because um, I've, I've tried this out in a couple of classrooms so at different levels. I've tried them. I don't remember the, the K-8, K-12. I don't remember what that actually stands for at the moment. It's okay. <laughs> but, uh, US, U.S. grades, kindergarten through 12th grade or kindergarten through 8th grade. That's it. <laughs> okay, that's it. Okay, ah, that's what, kindergarten through it. Thank you. Now I've learned something today. Uh, it was wonderful. We anyway, um, <laughs> That's great. So anyway, um, I, I tried that with some fifth graders, and I've also tried it with some seventh and eighth graders, and I've also tried that with some teachers letting the teachers have the role of, uh, of, uh, of students. And the way we, we, we thought that, you know, 
we're going to give them some some simple tasks. Like um, we went to an arts class for seven eighth graders, and we said, okay, we want you to to um, show us the feeling of love, for example. How do you go go about showing the feeling of love? You know, if you have if you're in an arts class, you might you know draw some hearts, or you might have fluttery birds or whatever. But we want you to show us the feeling of love. But we want to show us with with sound and video and 3D models. And here's this uh, this editor. You can you can find anything you want on the internet. You can create it yourself, or you can uh, use the material, the assets that we already got, then combine them. And uh, what we saw were some students who were really tech savvy. They were just like going on board like crazy. They were having a great time, having a ball. You know, they also. I mean, one of the guys, uh, his um. About love, I'm putting like, what do you call it? Like a uh, rabbit. Air quotes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in quotes. It was more like a techie dark skyline, but it was really cool with a stormtrooper dancing in the middle of everything. I think he loved Star Wars. <laughs> but, you know, um, but um, uh, some other people, they were they were like, like more simple stuff. Like, so, you know, I really love burgers. And then they found this 3D burger and you could touch the burger. And then, you know, you went to a new scene where, the, where there was a song because there was a song coming out of the burger. And, you know, this um, letting them be like wacky but still also like expressing something that they felt deeply, you know, like the love for Star Wars or a burger, you know. And I, I, the thing that, that they um, could go through, they could use these really different tools that opened up a whole new mindset of like, you know, yeah, I can show a video, I can show, I can play a song and I can have this dancing stormtrooper and they can all go together. And, uh, and something new and unexpected came out of it compared to going to an arts class and going, hey, tell me about love, here's a pen and a paper, you know. Which, which, uh, that that was a really powerful experience for me, actually, because then yeah, they that's, really uh, had that's in, freedom. That's incredible. I think that, uh, you know, the your examples of what uh, seventh and eighth graders are coming up with are a lot more wholesome than what I would have personally come up with in seventh and eighth grade. I think what I would have made <laughs> is uh, probably more in common with, uh, well, your your fellow Dane, Soren Kierkegaard's sort of uh, very moody <laughs> existentialism is is where I was at in eighth grade, but that's, uh, that's very uh, delightful to hear about Ryan, Star Wars you, hamburgers. You, you strike me more of as a Camus guy than a Kierkegaard guy. I'm I more became of, a Camus guy later in life. I'm, I'm more I'm more of the Kierkegaard guy on the team. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. You walking yes. down beaches in Northern Africa holding a gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, right. Mother that's died right. today. Maybe that's it was right. yesterday. It doesn't matter. It's really dark, man. <laughs> okay, here here's something that I've always uh, been very curious about, and as a, as an AR expert, you can. You can help me make sense of it. Um, we've seen firsthand the power of social VR, and it seems that the hardware really isn't well positioned for social AR at this current uh, iteration. Jens, what, where do you think, what are the best examples of social AR that you've seen? And how could you know something like a, in an online school integrate some social AR to make uh, an alternative to Zoom, you know, like we have going on here. Oh, so um, to take like a really cliche example, like something which is, even though it's not like true AR, um, uh, Pokemon Go was a great social phenomenon and still is. My, my eight-year-old son, he is like, he's Pokemon Go crazy. And, uh, and it's actually a way we can connect with him at some point. But um, I, I don't know if you watched uh, Niantic, you know, the company that did Pokemon Go. Um, uh, they launched something called Niantic, Niantic or Niantic, I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but they launched something called Lightship just uh, two weeks ago, I think, which is their um, 
their SDK for augmented reality. And uh, when it comes to the, sh the social, that, that's, uh, that's something that, that, that's the best thing I've seen because what they actually proposed was they proposed, you know, everyone's talking about the metaverse. What's the metaverse going to be? And they were like, you know, do, is the metaverse supposed to be virtual reality? You know, we're, um, even though, I mean, I've heard you guys talk a lot about that and also come up with some great examples of how you can have social gatherings in VR where you can actually get closer to each other. I know you guys are working with us with a school concept as well, which sounds really great. But one thing that you, that you could risk, I think, is that you could also risk getting disconnected from real life space and what Niantic were proposing were, was that, you know, you make this um, metaverse uh, augmented reality um, uh, sphere of the world where you add augmented context, context to um, GPS points all over the globe and you actually can, you connect by connecting with people in, truly in the real world. Not, not saying that it's not truly in the virtual world, so don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, not dissing that at all. I'm just saying that you, you like more truly like meaning IRL in real life, yeah? And, and at the same time, you have augmented layers, you can add contextual information that might actually um, strengthen the, the, the interactions between people yeah. in, in real space. And they have some in interesting, you know, they're a bit gimmicky, but like a game examples of how you could play like um, virtual ping pong in real life with an, uh, with an AR engine working in the background. Um, so you, pay, you know, you also see, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like uh, Apple's example, like the game tables they have. And, uh, but, and those are, of course, they're social things, but they're not the, the same. You, you can't uh, say like, oh, we're in two different continents. How can we be social? So I think AR has a different role to play. Has the has the role of a, of a, putting getting people together around a context around a, uh, around a subject and uh, giving them the possibility of of, um, of adding depth to reality in a way that um, that that VR might not do in the same way but might do in a different way. Yeah. That may, I know that that's a bit of rambling, but you, uh, does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's brilliant. I think and I think many of us who are in the extended reality space would love to see AR arrive and kind of be ready to sell off the shelf from a hardware perspective. You know, the, the, the current dominant hardware seem very expensive, uh, but I think that's what we want. We want to see, you know, the holograms, but, but you bring a really interesting insight, which is AR is something that could be consumed when we are together to enhance that experience, when we're physically together to enhance that experience like Pokemon Go. Where I was curious was, do you imagine AR serving a role in a remote context to bring us together in the ways that VR currently can, right? So if, we're, if, if you and I were doing this in a different way, we, we might have this podcast in the metaverse together in VR. Do you imagine AR could be a better way to do this as holograms or is the hardware just too far away to get us to that place? I think the hardware is too far away, to be honest. I mean, I mean, because VR can do stuff that AI can't do in that in that, in that way. I mean, and also VR avatars, uh, as you know, they've come so far now that you can have quite a quite a good feeling of place with another person. And so, I I, I really at the moment I think that AR and VR they have separate roles to play in the XR yes. space, where they, yes. they, and parallel roles, where they which which are both really powerful in their own, on their own. I'd like to bring an example also of, of art, which I think, I, I, I guess you guys uh, have read some William Gibson, right? Yes. 
Sure. Yeah. So um, I don't remember which book it was. If it was Book County or which one it was, but there's a there's what one of his books. Um, there's a, an artist, and he's made a, um, an homage to um, River Phoenix, I think, or someone who, or was it known? Anyway, a great actor who ran his car into a tree. River Phoenix did that as well, I think, right? But no one, yep. someone else. But anyway, and and there's this scene where he, he um, he's made this field of poppies, this poppy field at this place where this actor ran into his car into the tree. And you can go there and put on your your um, something which is like a hollow lens. In I mean, that didn't exist at that point in that book because it's from, it's from uh, 2001 or something like that. But he puts on his HoloLens to enjoy the artwork, and the whole scene becomes this blood-red field of poppy flowers, which, which, um, and and that those kind of things. That's where I'd really like to see AR Argo with like um, spatial AR that's uh, situated away where you can go somewhere. It might be art, but it might also be learning. You might you might go to a historical site, and people have been working with this as well. And, it, it isn't really there yet. It's not working that well. But you know that way of contextualizing uh, uh, and again, once again, strengthening a feeling of a certain place. Yeah. You know, and that, yeah. I think that's strong. Jens, do you do you imagine that uh, NFTs could be the killer app for AR and ways that we might consume AR in a more um, popularized concept? There's there seems to be such a buzz around some of these buzzwords and, and we should be cautious and skeptical when someone someone talks in these terms. But I'm imagining that uh, that, that non-fungible tokens might be a way, a killer app for AR applications. It might be a way to, a gateway drug to mass adoption for, and, and to your mission, your goal of democratizing augmented reality. Actually, I haven't thought about that that much, but I'm wondering, could you tell me something about what you, what you think about it? May I, may I turn the tables just very shortly? Because I'm really curious when you say that. The tables yeah, no, are no, no. always open for turning, my friend. Tables Here, I'm ready. Also, uh, so, so let's imagine that I wanted to start a, a, an elite private school in Denmark for Americans. And yeah. as a way of starting that elite private school, I offered a non-fungible token, Right. And that non-fungible token would be essentially your tuition and you could buy it at 2021 prices and over the course of time because of digital scarcity that token would be more valuable but as part of that process we would have a digital curriculum that was minted and that that digital curriculum could be populated as augmented reality applications right and so we were we're looking at you know populating you know founding documents of, of the country or uh, historical documents that we could populate for history class or great writings in ELA or, or um, you know, uh, uh, ways in which we might manipulate, you know, math manipulatives that were all part of this new innovative school, right? But the way that we would experience it together would be these AR applications that were minted and that would be digitally scarce as non-fungible tokens. This is one example. The, mo the more direct and simple example is what you described, which is we create this, the team of us create a version of incredible art. You know, we, we, we were big fans of Virgil uh, Abloh who just passed away, right? And, and we decided we would build uh, a non-fungible token of, of his, um, you know, his off-white brand. Uh, and, and, and we wanted to, you know, um, uh, you, know you, could, you, could, you could wear his clothes digitally 
through augmented reality, but we created value because those off-white shoes that you wore or those off-white clothes that you wore were augmented as opposed to yeah. in reality, right? Um, that would be a really interesting way to bring popular culture into augmented reality. What do you think about that? Definitely, I think it sounds really interesting. And I think, I think going back to the to the school part, you're saying like the the whole thing with having a curriculum that that is also minted as an NFT in a way. That's uh, that's interesting as well. I'm just wondering um, um, about the the role that I mean. I'm just you know NFTs are very they're they're very poppy at the moment as well. It's it's, it's kind of it feels a bit like a pop phenomenon. For sure. And, uh, for me, I, I feel that um, that uh, going so far as saying, "Oh, NFTs will play an important role in in, the, for example, in, in in education or or in AR as as a as a, a, a gateway to serving AR to lots of people because you popularize it through um through uh, special edition tokens that uh, that uh, that. Uh, that are special to some people, and they become, you know, something that that you crave to own some some way. I, I think it it could it could be great, but it could also be um, it could also fall down to the ground in a really heavy way if if it if it turns out that this is more of a pop phenomenon, and that's what I'm really worried about. So, so, so here's here's an interesting experiment for us. Maybe we could uh, create some um, NFT tulips. You know, with your background, a little bit of a some some augmented reality tulips and get a mad uh, tulip rush going again. What do you think, Ryan? Adam, get to- Adam I, I think I think you're committing a faux pas here, buddy. He's Danish, not Dutch. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Danish, yeah. You should you should actually do it with with the, with the Danish. What you do that's really Danish, you know. I mean, you know what Danes do a lot? We have pigs. You know, you know the way that you say in New Zealand there are more sheep than there are people. In Denmark, we have more pigs than we have people. Fascinating. You know, I just, thought, just, Jens, I thought for sure that you were going to go in the direction of cycling because I know that cycling is a, a national pastime, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, cycling is not. We cycle all the time. It's just that was in my <laughs> mind because you know, just 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 to, just to put into perspective how important pork is in Denmark. You know, okay. we just had a heavy snow for two days. And uh, which we don't usually have in the beginning of December at all. I mean, sometimes you don't have any snow all, all winter in Denmark. And today, like on the top news, we had this, this news thing, like 10,000 pigs won't be slaughtered because of the snow. Today, oh. we won't slaughter 10,000 pigs. You know, that's like on a normal day, at least, I mean, Denmark is a small country. You know, it's like, it's, I mean, you, Denmark's population is like half of <laughs> half Manhattan, you know, we're 5.5 million people. Yeah. It's like, uh, so like, um, when when you can't slaughter ten thousand hogs, that's really <laughs> it, it, it's kind of I mean it's 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 uh, funny but uh, uh, tragic comical maybe I don't know. <laughs> so but that's but here's I, here's the question, Adam. Could you substitute those ten thousand hogs with some NFT bacon? I don't think it would work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that red light district. I'm sorry, wrong, I'm wrong country. Uh, uh, you're back in Holland, yeah. man. <laughs> wrong country, dude. Wrong country. I'm just messing. You know, I'm, messing. I'm really think- I'm messing around now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> NFT bacon is an interesting thing, though. I mean, that was, that's I mean, that's climate trendy as well. Unless they've they've been you, you've been, uh, you have to mine them like a Bitcoin. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Trade offs. So, so so this is fabulous. This is fabulous. We 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 have to get to the fab, the uh, the Furious Five. So Jens, we uh, like to end the show with a segment that we call the Furious Five, which is going to be five questions that 
don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. They're just kind of a, a fun way to get to know you a little bit better in the show on a lighter note. Although Adam does like to uh, hit kind of hard on the last question for the Furious Five. So, so stay tuned for that. Um, the first question <laughs> of the Furious Five is, uh, is going to be inspired a little bit by my own personal interests because uh, I'm a big time foodie. I love to cook. I love to eat great food. And one of the great uh, inspirations in my own cooking and has been uh, learning about fermentation through uh, the Danish restaurant Noma, who, um, you know, I've never had the pleasure of visiting, but uh, they publish many of their books here in the United States, and I've learned a lot from them. So my question for you is, um, that's that's the extent of my knowledge about Danish food. What's the best Danish food that you don't think Americans have probably had that we should stop what we're doing and go eat? Well, I mean, I think one of the best Danish foods is something called Ullebrød, which, I mean, try pronouncing that, Ullebrød. <laughs> Interesting Ullebrød. word. Yeah, it means, it means beer bread. And what it is, it's not bread. It's actually, you know, in Denmark, we eat a lot of dark brown rye bread, sure. it's like pure rye. And uh, when you have old rye bread, you cut it up into pieces then you put it in a mix of sweet, low-alcoholic beer and water overnight. Then you cook it up so that it becomes like a, a, a porridge, like a beer, red porridge, and you flavor it with cinnamon and cardamom, and then you eat it with, a, with whipped cream. And that, you know, I'm pretty sure very few Americans have ever had this. And it's, I wouldn't call it a food as much as like a breakfast slash dessert, but it's really, really delicious if you like it. That sounds amazing to me. I'm a little concerned, though, that if I start eating this, that I'm going to end up being like 200 kilos overnight. It sounds like a very fattening yeah, so, food. You know what I do not to, to not, not to wear a lot? In the mo every morning I get up, I take a three-minute ice-cold shower, and I do 50 push-ups every morning. Well, and then, and then you guys cycle I, everywhere, right? It's the bicycles then, then that are, are working off all that beer bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we cycle a lot, yeah. So, so the ice cold shower gets the uh, gets the, uh, the 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 calories burnt, huh? Yeah, and it gets the blood running. I mean, you, I mean, when you come out and your skin's ice cold, you do fifty push-ups, then you're ready to go. There I you go. It. I love it. You, you get AR advice and exercise advice here today on Ready Teacher One, courtesy of our friend Jens. Jens, the second question of the Furious Five is: What's the best TV show or movie that you've watched recently? I haven't watched much re recently, but um, but uh, because I have two kids and we've just moved and stuff, so I just moved from from Copenhagen to a small city or a small town of only four thousand people. Um, but uh, but I I, I watched um, uh, um, oh, what's the name of it? Because I haven't watched a lot lately. I just have to okay. give me two seconds to think. Adam about this. Adam and I are both dads too. We totally get the busyness of not being able to watch stuff. <laughs> like like I don't watch I don't watch a lot of TV. I. I I will sometimes wish I could, but I watched this um, this uh, series on HBO. Um, uh, what's the name? I because it was really funny. It was like it's a it's a space it's a, it's like it's a it's a it's a, it's a humor series. I mean it it isn't deep in any way, but it was just really fulfilling as a father. It's like a, it, it's a um, it's a it's Hugh Laurie is the captain of a spaceship like a, a liner that that uh, goes from earth around the solar system and then it breaks down and then all uh, hell breaks loose aboard this uh, this uh, starliner because uh, they can't get back to earth and then 
shit hits the fan and it's it's nice. it's really funny and Hugh Laurie is so deadbeat and at the same time there's no depth to it whatsoever actually it's just like it's really um I'm a father I'm tired I'm gonna watch this and, and really have like both the nerdy science fun and uh, and uh, a laugh love it that sounds that sounds delightful but sorry for not getting the title I don't remember it no. that's okay we'll we'll uh, we'll find it out we'll put it in the show notes if we uh, if we're able to figure it out question number three of the furious five. What's the best book that you've ever read? I, w- I, 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 would, I would say uh, Lord of the Rings, because I'm a big Lord of the, big Lord of the Rings nerd. But nice. actually, I, I've been thinking, I mean, there are so many books. I mean, I can't say one's the best, but one book that really springs to my mind, because I come back to it a lot, is, you know, Haruki Murakami from uh, Japan? Sure. The author, yeah. He, his, his book, Hardboiled Wonderland and the End of the World. Okay, I haven't read that like, it's it's, um, it's Kafka-esque. And uh, and sci-fi esque and fantasy esque and at the same time it it, it, it hits so many notes with like uh, um, and it, it works with like Shinto Buddhism um, uh, going like like uh, uh, what what's the end of life and what's that actually mean and it's like it has so I mean I really recommend it it's a fantastic book and his writing you know it's magic realism in a new new non South American way okay. So, uh, so it sounds like a little, a little bit of a Herman Hess, like glass bead game type of deal, mixed with a little bit of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, maybe. Yeah, and then and then something completely okay. different, something and mixed with Haruki Murakami. <laughs> I love it. So I, I really it. so Hardball Wonderland and the End of the World, and and the title on it is great as well. Yes, Hardball Wonderland and the End of the World. I like that. Question number four of the Furious Five Yens is, who's a thought leader? that our listeners should stop what they're doing right now and either go follow on social media or watch a TED talk by or read a book by or, or just familiarize themselves with in some way. Who's a thought leader that everyone needs to be paying attention to right now? Well, I, I, I would say Greta Thunberg. Say the name again. Sorry. Uh, Greta Thunberg. You'd probably Greta Thunberg. Okay, sure. Yeah. I think she is uh, an important thought leader. I mean, I mean, because because uh, she she says it as it is, you know. She 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 isn't afraid of saying, you know, you guys, you have power, but you're not doing enough. And uh, and you know, she I mean, she's a kid and she has Asperger's. My son has autism, and you know, but she's not afraid of 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 um of saying, you know, I have my shortcomings and don't listen to me. I'm not the expert, but the experts are actually saying this. And you should listen to the experts. So get your act together, you guys. You're in power. You should listen to the experts. Go, go, go do it. I like that. I do as well. I do as well. She's certainly someone that I admire quite a bit, despite her young age. Jens, the last question of the Furious Five is a question that we like to call the contrarian question. And it's a question that really belongs to Adam. So at this point in the show, I always turn the mic back over to him. Adam, take us away. Jens, what do you know true to be? Uh, what do you know about the uh, the Dutch tulip crisis? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, in all in all seriousness, what do you know true about uh, augmented reality and its development that other AR developers would disagree with you on? There seems to be a lot of secrets in that business that that many of us novices uh, aren't familiar with. Well. Um... Many one thing I I think is the truth is that many people you know they're very awed by this whole um, 
um, uh, surface recognition where you place something on a surface and it's like, um, look, I can place this furniture from IKEA here. I can do, um, I can, uh, I can test this palm tree in my uh, in my living room. Um, and this thing, I think, um, while powerful, what people are missing in a lot of augmented reality is the actual interaction with augmented objects. So if you have like a one one of three D object put in real space. It's cool. It's nice, but it's gimmicky. And if you want to go deep and get into the, what augmented reality can actually give you, you need to give the power to the user and let them interact with it and surprise them, and maybe even let them contribute to your augmented reality experience by by going into it and by interacting with your your content and. That's something I'm not seeing enough of, and I think that really needs to happen because that's where augmented reality is really, you know, going to hit the ceiling and make a difference, uh, uh, both for education, for marketing, for anything. Do you imagine that's that, a uh, that answer. that's a? It is a tremendous answer. Do you imagine that haptics are the limitation there? The ability to, with the ability to interact, that that haptics are expensive from a from a development perspective. I don't even think haptics are necessary because, you know, the, the, the human mind is a fantastic, fantastic machine. I mean, we, we have, our imagination is incredible. So I, I think actually just serving augmented reality on, on a mobile screen or on a tablet and just using the screen as your haptic feedback, you know, just clicking. So you're not even getting a feedback. You're just feeding the screen with your clicks. But the thing is that you're, you're actually just making the augmented content come alive by being able to add actions through your actions so you, I, I don't think you need the haptic the haptic feedback of course it would be great i mean don't get me wrong but but it's not it's not the key the key is the the human mind and letting it interact yeah. does, does, it, 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 and before we wrap up i am curious because it, it does they, they do feel to be more tricky technical barriers and what your company is doing is so innovative because you're trying to break those barriers down do you see Lighting as an issue? Does lighting, you know, and maybe lighting doesn't play as much of an issue as it would in a virtual reality scene, but do you see, particularly for um, certain AR applications, lighting on, a, on, a, on, a, on an asset being a challenge uh, to, to more interactive um, pieces? It, it, it could be, but actually it doesn't have to be because uh, what we can do is we can take the, the, the lighting coming into your camera and we can actually add a filter as a surface object on a 3D object so that you actually add an extra texture that, that, uh, that, um, that reflects what the camera is taking in. So, so actually we, we, we can... Yeah. So we can actually cheat. I mean, that, that's not something that everyone can do, but, but, but it could be more ubiquitous, you know. I mean, you can, you can easily make things, or easily, I'm saying, but, but it's not that difficult to make things actually react to the real world through lights, through reflections, using the camera. We're already using the camera. Just um, add that as a texture to your model. Excellent. Jens, we can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Uh, where can our listeners find you on social media or find out more about HoloLink on social media? They can check us out on LinkedIn, on HoloLink or my name, but also our homepage or our landing page is hololink.io. And actually, if they want to try out creating AR themselves, you know, they can go to our editor, which is editor.hololink.io, and it's free to use at the moment. We just came out of beta. It's working nicely. 
just go in, make an AR Christmas card for your loved ones, and have fun. That's Will true. do. Will do. And before we end, may I say something about tulips? Please. Oh, oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> the tables have turned again. Go ahead. <laughs> because you said tulips, and you said, what, what do I know about tulips that many Americans don't know about tulips? Well, one thing I might know about tulips is that when tulips were really big a couple hundred years back in Holland, the most expensive tulip bulb, like the creme de la creme tulip bulb, one bulb would buy you a house with footmen, a carriage, and horses for one single bulb. That's when it was really high because there was like an explosion. It was like with a Bitcoin bubble. There was actually a tulip bulb bubble. And you looked it up. It's really interesting. It's a, it's a great uh, deep dive on something that you didn't think you wanted to dive deep into. But it's fun. Lots well, to be learned there for uh, the current fans of <laughs> NFTs, I suspect, right? <laughs> I, was yeah, say, exactly. <laughs> I was just saying the three of us collude on the, uh, the, new, uh, the, the new Tulip uh, NFT collection. <laughs> the Jens yeah. Bachval Tulip Collection. <laughs> Oh Let's my go goodness. for that. I'm all for it. Let's work on that. <laughs> oh my but, but yeah, yeah, you're right. The faux pas was 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 also an undercurrent. <laughs> yeah, this has been Every, way too everything much fun, comes man. Together, you know, so everything much. comes together. Everything comes together. Thank you so much. I'm Thank so you. happy you had me. I'm I'm really really um, grateful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Next time we we have so much more to talk about. Next time we'll talk more about uh, you know my my favorite novel as a kid took place in Denmark. I don't know if you know Lois Lowry's Number of the Stars. But I just had the uh, the chance to read that to uh, my own son a few months ago. So we'll we'll chat more about that. We'll chat more about cycling and beer bread. I'm gonna try to make beer bread. I'll let you know how it goes. And also, uh, send send me that that nail and that novel on LinkedIn and in, in, a, chat, in a chat. Now I'll send you a, a recipe for beer bread. Deal. Good stuff, okay. guys. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, guys, and I'll have a wonderful night. It's a quarter to nine in the evening. So. Right. Right. Excellent. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Jens. Bye-bye. Take care. Have a wonderful day.